It is so sweet to hear those words back. I knew you were doing it online. I know there's people there already saying, oh, good morning, good morning, amen, all that kind of stuff. But it is super cool to hear voices again in God's house. Uh, we are looking at the book of First Thessalonians today. And as my kids pointed out in the car this morning, um, that's a tough word to say, let alone spell. Uh, I have to use spell checker all the time for that. But um, in this kind of reopening phase, uh, we thought it'd be really interesting and neat since we're not having nursery or uh, kids programs at the moment until people feel a little bit more normalized, that the message, I would try to be very aware that we may have young kids just sitting in the back kind of around some of the tables. And so I wanted to make sure that the message was a little bit more accessible uh, for old kids and young kids alike and parents alike. And so for the next few messages, uh, there will be some videos interspersed in the message that have been produced by the famous producer, Preston Miller. Now, for those of you who don't know that famous producer, Preston Miller, he also is our youth pastor and family pastor. So we're going to have a couple uh, videos interspersed in this morning's message and next week that are meant to be lighthearted and engaging, at the same time communicating God's truth about the point we just spoke about. So if you get lost in a daze as Pastor Tim is speaking and you go, I've got no idea what he's talking about from the book of 1 Thessalonians, just wait because probably five minutes after I've confused you, we're going to have a very short video that explains everything. And I know some of you are saying, well, why can't we just watch those videos and be out of here in five minutes? Uh, oh, come on, we just got back together. We can't be gone in just five minutes. Uh, but we're looking at the book of 1 Thessalonians and the, the book is written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote two letters to them, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and he wrote them while he was doing missionary journeys. And the church has been around for about 20 years at this point, at the most 20 years. Uh, some probably feel it's closer to five years. So it is a brand new church. It is a church that has not had lots of Christmases to celebrate, not lots of Easter's. It has no VBS, no Sunday school, no Bible classes. In fact, no one in that church even owns a Bible. What they have is they have the Holy Spirit, like we do, and they have Paul's words of encouragement that they remembered him saying, and some of them wrote it down, and now they get a letter from Paul. A letter that is incredibly personal, because Paul spent a lot of time at Thessaloniki, which was the second largest city in Greece at the time, Athens and Thessaloniki, and it's still the second largest city in Greece today. And it is one of the few New Testament churches where that town is still thriving, unlike Galatia and Ephesians, uh, Ephesus. Those, those, those cities are, are lost to ancient history. But Thessalonians, the church at Thessaloniki, is still a strong, vibrant church and city. And it was a seaport, which meant that all the trade happening from the Orient and India and Egypt and the Middle East all went through Thess Thessaloniki in order to get to the Western world. So it was a melting pot. Lots of culture, 
lots of people, there were over 100,000 people in the town at the time, which was large, a very large city, and incredible amount of wealth because it was a city of commerce. All the trading kind of happened there, gathered there, and then went west and east. And so it was an incredibly important city to Rome who controlled it. Now, most of the people in Thessaloniki were not Roman. They were from all over the world, kind of scattered and brought together because of the promise of trade and commerce. So it was a wealthy city, but along with all that wealth and all those different ethnic groups that came, also came lots of different religions. And Rome was always in favor of keeping the locals happy so you could support and do whatever religion you wanted as long as you paid homage to the emperor. And so this is the setting that Paul writes to. Paul writes to them and says, uh, we have a couple personal things that I want to talk to you about as well as some other things you need to know because I didn't have a lot of time to spend with you. So he starts out in the very first chapter in the first two verses and sets the stage. He says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the three that are very close to the church at Thessaloniki, uh, Silas and Timothy had accompanied Paul on many different journeys, but he lets them know at the very beginning, sort of like caller ID. You see who's calling and you answer the phone. Paul wants to make sure you know who it is that is uh, addressing them. So he addresses them, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. To the, church at Thess- to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. He starts out with a common greeting, but the words of it are anything but common. They are impactful words that inspire, I think, peace. I think it inspires hope. To the church, which is a young church, but is a church in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no doubt the foundation of this church. There is no doubt its rootedness, its security, its definition. Paul knew exactly who this church was. It was identified not by a building. It was identified by God. God was there. The Father was there. And the Lord Jesus Christ was there. It was evident that these people were in love with God. That was their hope. That was their comfort. That was their joy. That was their identity. You want to know the identity of the people at this church? They were God's people. They were identified as God's people. They were part of His family. They were rooted and grounded. Even though they were young in the faith, they knew exactly why they were together. And they were together not for social reasons. They weren't together to share meals. They weren't there to share They were there because they had something in common. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ had entered their lives and changed them. And Paul says, because of that relationship, I can say to you, grace and peace. If you remember back several months ago, we looked at a series on grace, and we defined grace as what? Not that I can hear you through your mask. Grace is undeserved, unmerited, Love and favor. Undeserved, unmerited love and favor. So Paul starts out by saying, I know exactly who you are. You are in God. You are in Christ. 
and we have a common relationship with grace and peace. He continues in verse 2 in this greeting and says, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. Paul not only preached, Paul not only started churches, but after he started those churches, he invested his personal spiritual time for their well-being. For their well-being. It is a tremendous comfort, is it not, when someone comes up to you and says, hey, you were on my mind this week. I prayed for you. You may not have been going through anything. You may have been going through something incredibly traumatic. And to hear those words from someone who had no connection to it say, hey, you know what? I was praying for you. Just want to let you know I was praying for you. That's a huge encouragement. That is, a, that is an uplifting moment of knowing that you were in someone else's thoughts and those thoughts led them to prayer. One of the most powerful things you can beseech God for is help. And you were doing that on my behalf? Yes, I was. And Paul says, each and every one of you, as you come to my mind and my prayers, I pray for you. Uh, I, I don't think this is going to embarrass my mom uh, for a couple reasons. One, she's in Connecticut. Two, uh, I probably won't talk to her today. Uh, and three, I think it is good from time to time to talk about the good deeds of others without feeling weird about it. Every Sunday morning, without fail, my mom texts me, and she's in Connecticut, and so sometimes I think the time zone may not be uh, fully understood at the moment when she texts, but sometimes I get a text at like 5 o'clock in the morning, and sometimes I get one at 7 o'clock in the morning, depending on her schedule, that simply says, Tim, I'm praying for you. Tim, I'm praying for you. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm not texting her saying, oh, you know, I, I need your prayer, I need your help, 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 help. It's just a, every week, hey, Tim, once you know, I'm praying for you. And every time I get that text, it just boosts my resolve to say, Lord, you need to be the master and commander and the captain of what happens today at Calvary. And someone that you may have met a couple times when she was here visiting, no real investment and experience in your relationship with her, but she's looking at me and she's looking at you going, you know what, Lord? I need you to overshadow them with your blessing and your prayers. And so that's what he does. That's what she does. And it is encouraging. And I know when she's on vacation, I know when she's not around to do that text because I, I look and go, oh, she didn't text. Oh, that's right. She's off doing something, so she wasn't at home in order to get into her normal routine. But Paul is absolutely certain that this brand new church that has no Bible, has no preacher leading them, has no church building to meet in, he knows that none of that matters compared to their relationship that they have with God. And if they have a relationship with God, then they are safe and secure. Grace and peace are heaped on them. And Jesus says something very similar in John chapter 15. And in John chapter 15, we have that story of the vine and the branches. And let me just read that here in verse 1 through 
7. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while that branch does not bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will even bear more fruit. You are already clean because my word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that if you bear much fruit, you show yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus shows us very vividly what it is like to be in Christ. It is to be rooted and grounded. And if you are rooted and grounded in Christ, fruit will happen. You will bear evidence of that relationship with God. It takes time. People grow at different rates, totally understand that. And Jesus says something very similar in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount where he talks about the wise man who builds his house upon a rock and not the sand. When you have a foundation in God, you are immovable. doesn't matter how old you are of a Christian. doesn't matter how mature you are as a Christian. If you are in Christ, you are just as immovable. And to show you what immovable looks like, we have a video. I need help moving a tree. Can you help me move that tree? This tree? That tree. All right, let's move it. That was easy. Oh, no, no. I meant that tree. That tree. Yeah, can you move that tree? Oh, yeah. This thing's easy to move. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant that tree. This tree? That tree. Move it. Run. This this tree? Move it. Come on, I'll help. It's it's like really in there. It's It's like really in there. It's like rooted. It's rooted! Makes sense. I'm not absolutely sure that this is going to be really good. All right. Um, The point is, right? When you are rooted and grounded in Christ, when God is your Father and He is your Savior, it doesn't matter what comes against you. You will weather it. You will be victorious, not because of your power and your might, but because you are connected to the power, the might, the God, the Savior. He roots you. He grounds you. And so no matter what comes at you to move you, know that your relationship with God makes you strong indeed. Even though you may feel weak at the moment, you are strong eternally before God. The verse uh, continues. Uh, here. And uh, in 1 Thessalonians, we're talking about 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. So he's already said, you're a solid church. You're rooted and grounded. Grace and peace to you. I pray for you all the time. There's more. Verse 3. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. So not only does he pray for you, Paul prays for this church at Thessalonica, he remembers, I remember the people. When they had faith 
they had works. When they professed a religion, the religion of Christianity in their lives, there was evidence of it. And he continues, he says, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He recognizes that. He recognizes their faith, their love, and their hope. And it's not because they were designed to be faith and hope and loving people. It's because of what God had worked in them. But it was noticeable to Paul. Even though he was there for a short time, even though he was the one who started the church, it was a missionary out in the square and brought people to saving faith, God blessed him and he started and he taught them. He was there for almost an entire year. And he goes, I saw something in you. Every time I remember that church in Thessaloniki, I remember how true and evident your faith was. I saw your works. I didn't just simply hear about your faith. I saw it. I didn't simply hear about your love, but I saw it. I not only heard you talk about hope and confidence in God, but I saw it. What did Paul see in these people? How did he notice it? How did he recognize it? How did he know that there was faith and love and hope? How do you recognize it in people? It's not just being polite to one another. I think it starts with, I'm praying for you, brother. I'm praying for you, sister. I'm invested in you spiritually to the point where we're going to work through this and walk through this together. We're in it together because we're rooted together we're grounded together we're we're founded together in Christ we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith notice it wasn't work first it wasn't oh you did all these great things and then I saw faith no there was faith that produced the works and James says it perfectly without works Faith is dead. He goes, I don't care how much you tell me that you love God. If I don't see it in your life, it's just empty words. I don't care how much you want to demonstrate compassion towards someone. You can talk about it all you want, but if you don't do it, there's not really compassion there. I don't care if you talk about hope, that, oh, nothing phases you, and all of a sudden you're just simply destroyed because your plans got changed. No, that hope, that love and compassion and that faith was visible through their actions towards one another and to the world around them. God's people are recognized by their faith, their love, and their hope. They're not recognized by bumper stickers on their car. I have resisted a long time putting bumper stickers on my car, and you want to know why? Not because it devalues the value of the car, it is because I now have to live up to that bumper sticker every time I'm in the car. And if I have just had an issue with how I drove <laughs> with someone, the last thing I want them to see is me promoting the gospel because there is a disconnect between my actions and my words. There can't be any disconnect between our actions and our words when it comes to the things of God. And I know that's something I have to immensely work on day in and day out. But Paul says, when I think of you, mention you in my prayers, 
faith and works, labor prompted by love, and endurance inspired by hope is noticeable. Noticeable characteristics. So if you were to ask someone, how do you define a Christian? How do you define a Christian? Some of the things that come to mind, very valuable, very valuable. Well, a Christian attends church. A, t- a Christian, a serious one, might attend a Bible study on top of church. Even maybe more of a serious Christian is one who gives to missions and tithes. Maybe even a more serious Christian volunteers in the nursery. And we would look at those things and say, yeah, you know, from an outward vantage point, those are all things that Christians do. But that's not how a Christian is defined. A Christian is defined as someone who is rooted and grounded in God. They know their Lord and Savior, so they have a relationship with God. And that relationship is provable, not by what they say, but the actions in their life. Do they match with the actions? We have a short video that is going to explain characteristics. Hey, I need a Broncos fan right away. Sorry. Oh, hey, I need a Broncos fan right away. Sorry. Oh, hey, I need a Broncos fan right away. A Broncos fan? I'm number one. It's not Raiders country or uh, Patriots country. It's Broncos country. Yeah. yeah. All right. Broncos. Broncos. Sports. Okay. So how do you recognize a Broncos fan? It's going to be noticeable. They're going to share it with you, right? They're going to be proud of it. When you start talking to them, there's an excitement because there is a connection of, yes, I love that characteristic. I am that. That's how I'm defined. So same with the Christian. Faith is going to be noticeable. Love is going to be noticeable. Hope is going to be noticeable. Not that we have to live those things in perfection. None of us will live those in perfection. But it should be clear with abundance of their characteristic before you that you can identify them clearly as, I know they're not a Raiders fan. I know they're not a Patriots fan. I know they're a Broncos fan. I know they are a follower of Jesus. I know they're a follower of Jesus. And there is a great difference And I know I'm not trying to make light of it, but there is a great difference between being a Broncos fan and being a Christian. We know that, right? Being a Broncos fan, you never know how the year's going to go. Right? You never know what the outcome of the season will be. You have hope. You might have faith. And you might have love for it. But you are guessing they may have more wins than losses this year. But with the characteristic of a Christian, you know for sure the outcome. I know how the year's going even before it starts. I know how the next life will go before it even starts. I know what will happen after death. I know what will happen if the world itself vanished. I know the outcome. You know what the outcome is? One zero. 
victory of the cross over the defeat of the enemy every single time. And the Christian lives with that knowledge that my future is secure. And so my work and faith, my love and compassion, my hope and endurance is set. I don't have to work on that game plan. It's already been won. The schedule doesn't have to come out. We've got the victor already. And so the Christian can be identified by those type of characteristics. And Scripture has lots of things. This isn't the only thing, but it has lots of ways to describe how someone can be identified as a Christian. This is just one of them. We have the fruit of the Spirit is another. And Jesus says, if you go and make disciples, if you take what you know and you give it to others, that's another sign. And so there's many ways to identify it. Paul says, I recognize this in you. There's faith and evidence of that faith through works. There's love and there is hope. So ask yourself, if I was to run into a room and say, I need a Christian right away, would there be that immediate thought in your mind, that's me, Tim, that is, that is me, all the way. Yes, all the way. I am the one who has faith and hope and love. What does God need of me? What does God need of me? The last thing that Paul uh, communicates here just at the very end of this kind of first section and it's kind of hard to break up I totally understand that because otherwise I'd be reading through the entire first chapter this morning but we're going to end in verse 4 and verse 4 sets out for us the fact that you are special alright and I have to define this real quick before I begin uh, has anyone seen that movie uh, The Incredibles okay I think it was a really fun movie. And they have a couple lines in there that say just about the same thing that uh, kind of speaks to this. And one of those lines, the kid says to his mom, uh, his mom says, you know, you can't show people that you're super. Uh, just kind of go with the flow. Don't come in first. And he says something to the effect of, well, you know what, if, if everybody is super, then really no one is, okay? So if everyone gets a trophy, the trophy is pretty meaningless. And uh, our world is now filled with trying to tell everyone, you're special. All I did was graduate kindergarten and I got a trophy and a graduation. How is that, how is that like accomplishment? Um, it's great to celebrate those milestones in our kids' life, but I think sometimes we can go overboard with everybody is special. With that being said, I want you to know you are special. And you are special because of verse 4. For we know, Paul says, brothers and sisters, all of us, that you are loved by God, that He has chosen you. That in God's mind, you are the apple of His eye. That for whatever reason, this God of the cosmos and universe, this God who is mighty and holy, this God who is compassionate and gracious, Gracious, this God who knows the difference between true and false. This God who holds life and death in His hands. This God who has designed eternity. This God who understands infinite and it doesn't break His brain thinking about it. Has said, 
brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are grounded, those who are noticed by their love and works and faith and hope, you are loved by this mighty, magnificent, eternal God. And He has told us numerous times that that love once placed on you will never, ever change. It'll never grow weak or diminished. He will never wake up one day and say, who's this person I've been with? And give it away. He never will. When His love is attached to you, it is a forever love of not just gushy emotions, but of commitment to see you through to the end to where you become like His Son. You are loved deeply. So how do I know that I'm loved by God? I've gotten this question many times. I've asked this question many times. How do I know? Whatever I'm going through, it feels like my life is a wreck. It feels like nothing is working together. How do I know, God, that you love me? How do I know that this is a real, tangible relationship? Because I don't feel like it. I think that's where Paul would direct you back to the very first few verses of this chapter and say, are you rooted and grounded? Is God your Father and Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Yes. I may not feel like it, but yes, that is a fact. Is there love and hope and faith evident in your life? Sometimes more than others, but is it there? Yes. Then you're connected to the vine. Even though the fruit may be small and sparse, you're connected to the vine, right? We need to remind ourselves that we are deeply loved by Him. Hence, our next video. And last video. Well, I have a couple more minutes to get this sermon done. I have to get it done. God loves you. Thank you. That was special. Back to studying. Lord, oh, God loves you. I feel special. Oh, so things will come in here, and then I could write it to you right on. That is real. I feel so special. How about you? Nice. That was nice. Woo, what a long day of work. I got a lot done, though. That's great. God loves you. Aww. Isn't that special? Sometimes we just have to be reminded that God loves us. Because our emotions can feel really weird throughout the day, and we can forget that in God's eyes, every one of His children, all brothers and all sisters, are loved by Him and put into a relationship by Him because of His love for us. Not because of our obedience. Certainly not because of our perfection, right? not because of our loyalty. Thank you.
May our life be a living sacrifice to You, demonstrating love and faith and hope. Father, may we continue to remain rooted and grounded in Christ. And may we be known, Father, as Your people because of our actions toward each other and toward the world around us. Help us, Father, to be those type of disciples. Those type of Christians that are recognized by their love for one another. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for.